0: Entering the Freedom Hut.
1: Democrats holding school reopen hostage. A big court win for nuns. A letter on justice and open debate that doesn't really open debate. Mural hate crime, is that a real thing? Seattle diversity training, we'll dive into that. And also, has Texas hit its COVID peak? Coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show.
0: Where the mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One
2: thing. Make no mistake. America. great a great America again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show begins.
3: Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy.
2: It is Buck Sexton. Now, Now it's time to be open, it's time to stay open, and we will put out the fires as they come up, but we have to open our schools, it's so important to open our schools, and what you said from a psychological standpoint with respect to staying home any longer, you can't do it. You can't do it, that has great dangers also, so that's where we are. Welcome everybody to the
1: Buck Sexton Show, the president yesterday getting uh, ahead of this issue, I think, before the Democrats have even been able to come up with a, a coherent reason for why we shouldn't open schools. COVID is scary is not a reason. They keep saying, let's look at the data, let's look at the options, and then it just turns into, well, people are scared. And to this, I have to say, the politics are going to become increasingly obvious and blatant and... Uh, challenging as we go forward here. Some people want the country to go and look at what's going on all over the world, but also go forward based upon what we've learned over the last, oh, five months and start to get back to normalcy in advance of a presidential election. Remember, this is not a normal time in American politics, and not just because of the screaming mobs and the people running around the streets acting like maniacs toppling statues, canceling George Washington, canceling Hamilton the Broadway play if they can, although I think that one will probably continue on. I haven't been able to watch it yet, I'm still planning on it. This is not a normal time in politics because you have the rise again of an anti-Trump psychosis. Right? We've we've seen this come in waves. It's always been there, but sometimes it's worse. Sometimes it recedes a little bit as I try to figure out what the next reason is that Trump is literally worse than Hitler. But now schools has become the left's Maginot line. We all know what happened to the Maginot line, but the schools have become one more thing, one more hurdle, a hostage that they will take to prevent a sense of normalcy from coming back and prevent the economy from really going. I I don't hear anyone else saying this, and it needs to be said a lot more by far more people. We are not in reopen. We are in less severe lockdown. We have not returned to normal. We're not seeing all the spike in cases happening because everyone's just living their lives. Large amounts of public accommodation. I mean, all kinds of industries are still either shut down or restricted, depends on the state you're in. We're we're not we're not opened up and now we're trying to figure out, oh, how do we deal with all these reckless decisions we've made to reopen? No, we've we've barely begun to peek out into the sunshine after being locked in this dungeon of leftist and expert insanity for months, for months. And we all know what the stakes are. We all know what they're trying to do. If kids don't go back to school, the parents are going to be in a very different position uh, when it comes to their jobs and just their sense of, are we going to get our lives back or not? And Democrats understand that they have two big ince- well, three big incentives to prevent school from reopening, none of which have anything to do with health, right? Their, their first incentive is, well, they don't have to take any responsibility for anything that would happen in the schools if they do reopen, right? So that's one. Two, they like the power that they currently have, whether we're talking about governors or mayors. Shut it down. Shut it down. Do what I say. And then they'll make special exceptions for, you know, pet projects of liberals or things that the left wants, you know, activism. Those things are fun. No singing in church in California, but gathering together as a bunch of lunatic protesters
4: screaming about how you want socialism. Defund the police.
1: That's fine. They're fine with all that. So the third one, of course, is the most obvious one, which is that it hurts the chances that the Republicans have to take control of the House, to maintain control of the Senate and for Donald Trump to win reelection. So that that is when we're talking about the motivation to pretend that we don't know that schools can reopen. I've just laid out for you that's why it's not reopening. So there's there's some degree of, of cowardice from politicians because they don't want to say. Hey, look, it's not, not going to be perfect, but life isn't perfect. Let's reopen and have that decision on their plate. They want to maintain control and they want to defeat Trump. What would their incentives be for reopening? Um, letting people have their lives back, having children continue to develop the way that they should, um, not punishing children for a disease that is really only a lethal concern in the policy sense, right? Any disease is the possibility of really, you know, well, I mean, any major disease is the possibility of causing complications, and, you know, you never know how a body's going to react, uh, or react to it. As I've said before, and people think this isn't true, you, you can actually die from strep throat, for example. Does anyone, is anyone going to a panic if they come back with a positive strep test? No, they take an the antibiotic, and there's a 99.9% chance they're fine. But you could theoretically die from it if it was untreated. You could die from cutting yourself shaving, you know, or, or shaving uh, you know, for the ladies shaving in the shower, right? I mean you, you could get a a MRSA infection, and that's that's all, that's all she wrote, right? You're done. But do you worry about that all the time? No. We have to separate out reasonable rational risk from things that clearly should be should be avoided because the parameters. Uh, the risk parameters are far too high. And when we're talking about schools, for children, it's basically zero risk. So the health, uh, the health concern for kids is, is effectively non-existent. And someone explained to me why you're not hearing from every news outlet constantly, Europe, Japan, name a major industrialized country in the rest of the world, they've opened up schools. And they're fine. The schools are operating. So why would we even have this, this doubt? Why this delay? I've already laid out those reasons, but I think it's important to work through what would be fair minded uh, objections to reopening because they don't really exist. Oh, the teachers unions, oh, of course, which is really just a Democrat vote operation, right? The, the teachers unions are completely overrun with what are essentially DNC operatives um, and socialists, and they want to demand more. And right now they've got a They've got a situation where they can say, "Hey, you know, okay, maybe we open, but you know, maybe we got to work a little more on those contracts on the back end. Get a little more, uh, a little more special something, something, a little sweetener for our retired teachers workforce." That's usually how the game is played. Uh, so they they want stuff, and I had I saw uh, on TV was it uh, the American Federation of Teachers, Randy Weingard? It's always the same thing. It's always she, she looks. she's very smooth. She's very good at just saying, we just want parents to have everything they need, kids to have everything they need, and teachers to have everything they need. No, it's really just get the teachers a lot of stuff and make sure the unions are powerful and supporting Democrats. The kids and the parents are always a secondary consideration at best. Nobody really cares all that much of the teachers' unions about the product here, which is education for children. Teachers just want to teach that's my favorite line. Whenever you hear that from a union representative, I know it is true of some teachers, and I have teachers that have profound uh, positive influences on my life, but whenever you hear a union representative say that, it's, think of it as the equivalent of Nancy Pelosi or some politician saying, it's, it's just for the children. We're just doing whatever it is. We're doing it for the children. Doing it for future generations. Whenever a politician tells you that you have to make a decision you don't want to for your safety or for future generations, you should be on high alert you should think this is probably bs because it almost always is or at least is partially bs is exaggerated is taken beyond uh, what a fair-minded argument would be so that that then brings us to well what are the downsides if we if we don't open which i think are it's important for us to understand that it's important for us to know that uh there will be consequences. It's not like we just stay home and all the kids will catch up and everything will be fine. Play clip uh, 13, Mark.
0: We can't let our kids fall behind academically, but also, uh, you know, Brett, you're a parent. You understand uh, that it's far beyond academics. That m- that millions of families rely on our local schools. Many, many of our children that that struggle with emotional challenges or 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 disabilities they receive those services at school. Add into that nutrition. Add into that other uh, other ways that we serve our kids. No, it's I- absolutely. Essential that we get back to school, and the president's going to continue to focus
1: effort on that. Look, we all need to be very clear that the public school system in this country largely operates in many places as, the, as a provider of social services to, to children and, and child care so that parents can go to work. And as a society, I, I do think that there's a worthwhile conversation that we really need to have where the expectation of two parents working uh, would not be what we all have. You know, if you want to pay the mortgage and be able to live a reasonable, middle-class lifestyle in any major suburban area, never even mind inside of cities, which are all overpriced, uh, but in a suburban area in this country, in a rural area in this country, that you don't have this general, it's not true all the time, but general expectation that two parents have to work. But this is the society that we've all been pushed into. This is what we've, uh, This is what we've been handed. You want to have, in a lot of cases, two parents working, which means you got to have the kids in school because there's no one home to take care of the kids. And no one really dives that deep into the developmental consequences that this can mean for children. Um, But we certainly know that keeping kids at home, not able to see their peers, not able to have those growth experiences of being around uh, adults who are invested in teaching them and who are learning during all of this is a major Negative. But do you do you hear a lot of chatter about that? Just just look at what the editorial decisions that are being made by major media organizations are on this issue. You'd think they'd be all about, oh, my gosh, we need to get our kids back into school. We need to figure out how we you know how we can make sure that we keep them on track so that they can continue to brainwash them to be good little socialists but also that the test scores will stay where they're supposed to be even though the test scores are always way lower in the public school system than we want them to be overall i know there are great public schools but certainly we haven't been able to pull up test scores the way that they've planned but this is now this is now just a, a purely political decision that's what it's turned into there are health consequences and i understand that and a teacher who's you know has a has a serious health condition or is over 50 who doesn't want to be around uh, a lot of kids until we know more, that's complete, That's rational, reasonable, fine. The science would support that decision of risk mitigation. They should certainly pass laws right now that people can't sue schools if there is a COVID outbreak, right? That, that this is not going to be a liability issue, which is another major concern. It's, that's one of the reasons why I can't get even that mad at some of the private institutions, including my own apartment building in New York, when they make decisions that are absurd, but they're just, they're worried about getting sued all the time. You know, because the governor, the Democrat governor here, Cuomo, you know, makes some mandate. And if it can be interpreted that you as a, as a private entity, but that serves uh, individuals in a, in a commercial sense, didn't adhere to the letter of the law uh, of the Cuomo executive order, perhaps you're liable to being sued. So we need to, push away this notion we we need to take away the the uh, possibility that schools can be sued for COVID which there's no way I mean we couldn't stop COVID from getting into seniors homes in New York we're going to stop all COVID cases in schools and as we know and they don't even understand this really they don't know why but transmission from children to adults is very rare it's much more likely the adults give it to the children so even in the instance I'm talking about where somebody who's you know, if, if, a, if a teacher who's 55 and look are our, our most you know, K through 12 teachers in their late 50s, no, because teachers unions usually have a pension and retirement program in place where you get to stop uh, at a pretty reasonable age. Uh, so when people get into their 50s, into their 60s, you know, maybe they've already thought about uh, thought about retirement. But I understand they want to maybe come back and be contractors or teach in schools. That's fine. But even in that circumstance, their risk is relatively low. But we're always told, you know, wear a mask, social distance, do all of these things. It's rooted in the science. As Cuomo says, it's rooted in the data. The data tells us not to do this. thing. Um, No, actually, if you look at what we know, children are at almost zero risk. There's a huge social consequence, negative social consequences to preventing children from going to school. There's minimal risk to adults involved in this process. There's enormous downside for the economy and for day-to-day life, right? We want our lives back. I don't know why that's not more of a rallying cry. People will rally in the streets for police violence, which is not a major problem. Sorry, it's just not. It's a problem. It exists, but it's not one that should be consuming the degree of energy and time in the media that it has. We all know this. It was used. It was leveraged. Oh, police violence. actually defund the cops, and let's eliminate the nuclear family. Ha-ha. Socialists pull it off again. Right? We've all seen this. How about getting our lives back? How about the restoration of the normalcy that we all should have where you get to go out and go engage in business and, you know, they're shutting down beaches again. Every time I see a, a, a media report where they're talking about spiking COVID cases and they're like, oh, we've got to shut and then they show a photo of a beach. They, they really just want to agitate the public. They want to depress us. They want us to be afraid because we're easier to control it's easier to mold our perception we're all oh my gosh beaches are safe people are not getting this in the beach they're not getting this in open air governors that are saying there should be mask mandates for people out in public are morons there's no there's no support for this whatsoever that's not an area where there's debate how effective are masks that's an area of discussion that is a reality they're not 99% effective. They're probably more like, you know, 2 or 3% more effective. But, you know, no one knows. I'll say no one knows, but they're not that effective. We all know that. But are they worth it in open air? Well, there's essentially no transmission that occurs in open air of this disease that anyone can point to. So the answer is no. But governors still do this. We are living in this Orwellian world where we're told that what's true is false, up is down. Data and facts are superstition and conspiracy theory and conjecture and politics are what we should really be basing all of our decisions on theories that are wrong over and over again. That's that should be uh, enough to eliminate your freedoms. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to play that game anymore. And it is time for us to just refuse to comply Open up the damn schools.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
2: We hope that most schools are going to be open. Uh, We don't want people to make political statements or do it for political reasons. They think it's going to be good for them politically so they keep the schools closed. No way. So we're very much going to put pressure on uh, governors and everybody else to open the schools to get them open. And uh, it's very important. It's very important for our country. It's very important for the well-being of the student and the parents. So we're going to be putting a lot of pressure on open your schools in the fall. Federal
1: government should use every tool at its disposal. Remember, Obama at one point threatened to pull. This was true. Pull federal funding for public schools through the Department of Education because of a, a transgender student bathroom usage dispute in North Carolina. This is a whole lot more sweeping and important than that issue was. And yet, where are Democrats on this? They want to lock it down. Why? They want to beat Trump.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Are public schools ready to open in September? You can see why we are supporting Joe Biden over Donald Trump. Did you hear the word he didn't use? Safely, safely. We, there's no one that wants their kids back uh, with us more than, than teachers. Maybe, maybe, their parent, maybe their parents beat us out there, but we want to open it safely. We see what happens when they let bars open prematurely, and you saw those young adults in there in that nice nice little bar, and they went home and they infected everybody around them. This isn't a bar. We're talking about second graders. I had 39 sixth graders one year in my class. I double-dog-dare Donald Trump to sit in a class of 39 sixth graders and breathe that air without uh, any
1: preparation for how we're going to bring our kids back safely. Blather. You notice how it's just a lot of, yeah, I'm like really emotional and teachers love the kids and I double-dog-dare Donald Trump to... Okay, National Education Association President Garcia, let's talk about this for a moment, shall we? Uh, Let's work backwards. Donald Trump is over 70 years old. How many of the people teaching second graders are in their 70s across the country? Less than five percent, less than one percent, less than one tenth of one percent. You know, I'm sure there are some. But it's a really small number. People over 60, we have data now. The scaremongering, oh my gosh, everyone, anyone gets this and it's going to ruin them. I have lots of friends, actually, surprising enough, out West, who have had COVID 19, who are young and healthy. And some of them said it was almost nothing. Some of them said it was kind of like the flu and really was, you know, rough for about four, five, six days. But they've survived. They're okay and they're done. That is the reality for 99% of people who get this. The reality for people under 20, We remember, we've run the experiment. We've got now six months of real data. reality for people under the age of 20 is that they are at a basically one in, let's call it 10,000 shot of getting hospitalized and being really, really sick from this. More people, just remember this, more people under the age of, I think it's 12, uh, have died from the flu this year. This is not like flu truth or stuff, or it's just the flu. That No, this is, but this is reality. More people have died from the flu than have died from COVID under the age of 12. Have we ever shut down all schools in this country, in your memory, because of flu? Uh, I mean, maybe for a few days or something or maybe for a week go, but shut it down for a year. The flu is more dangerous to kids than covid. Why then are you shutting down schools for covid? But, you know, it would be crazy to shut it down for the flu. It's because of all these other things we're talking about. Yeah, of course, Trump has to take extra precautions. One, he's at the high risk age group and two, he's the president of the United States. Uh, but this, notice she didn't answer the question. Are schools ready? No, it, she doesn't want to give up that point, because, you know, of course, this is the National Education Association. This is a bunch of uh, socialists getting Democrats elected, pretending how much they care about kids. There should never have been public sector unions. Okay, this is appalling on it. This is appalling as a just a matter of principle. People gathering together, holding, effectively try to, hold the taxpayers hostage in order to continue to raise their wages i don't know some of you probably are part of it because you have to be and i understand that but you know private sector union is hey we're we're coal miners like we need to band together or else some of us are going to die from not having enough precautions in the mine right that's private sector unions public sector unions are well you know teachers need to get paid for two hours if they take a five minute phone call on saturday that's got to be in the contract as it was in Wisconsin. I didn't just bring that up out of nowhere under Governor Scott Walker. ho when you looked at some of the stuff that the teachers union was pushing for in Wisconsin and just the general uh, public employees unions were pushing for there and had gotten in contracts, stuff you would never see in the private sector, you know, respond to a text message. Yeah, I get paid for two hours of overtime. Oh, that's se- that seems fair. Right. That's a good. Now, that one technically, maybe I think it might have had to be phone calls. But, you know, what I'm just saying there was some crazy stuff in there. What are the two biggest drivers of state debt? Very important to know this as we talk about the teachers unions. And there was a there was a really good documentary years ago called The Cartel. Um, And no, it wasn't uh, about. Any whiny voiced radio host who's trying to use every trick in his arsenal behind the behind the scenes to block somebody else off of getting on radio stations. It was uh, about people who were involved in the public sector union in New Jersey for for teachers. Pretty good documentary. I I saw it a long time ago, but I remember it was it was good. Uh, But here's what drives state debt, which is why we also have these really high state taxes Um, high state taxes come, well, because Democrats always want to tax you more, but Medicaid, that's what really pushes up free health care for people who are um, at a certain, below a certain income level, and also, and without particularly strong health outcomes at all, in in fact, there are some studies out there that suggest that Medicaid uh, doesn't have better long-term health outcome than people who don't have access to Medicaid, but that's a it was the Oregon study, it was called. We'll talk about that another day. Uh, and public sector unions, pension benefits, essentially. Because people get angry when they find out that, you know, that the local school chancellor just raised his salary from 175 k to, you know, 230 Like, pe- people can see that and say, well, hold on a second. You're basically in an unfireable job. You just got to show up. And you're making that kind of money. So that's a little bit. But that still happens. There are people that make a ton of money all over the place in the you just got to look for it in the public sector Um, involved in education, of course, Uh, education bureaucrats. This is the other part, too. You have to separate out the education bureaucrats from the teachers. Right. And the, the teachers are doing real work. Some of them are great. Some of them are terrible, like any profession. But teachers are doing important stuff. We all know that. I love teachers. You know, I have friends who are teachers and so on and so forth, right? I'm always talking about how I generally love cops. I love teachers, too. They're doing important stuff. We need them. Okay. Do we need, like, the third assistant vice chancellor for educational inclusion and diversity in the district of whatever? Probably not. Do we need to pay that person 150 grand? Certainly not. But that still happens. But what's even more, if you want to know where all this really gets expensive, and puts a huge burden on you, those of you who listen to this, who own a home and are paying taxes on that home every year. Remember, you're renting your home from the government, even if you own it. I wish people would have that sensibility more. You never really, if you live in a state where you're taxed for your home, you never really own your home. You are renting your home from the government after you've paid off renting it from the bank. Or, well, you do that at the same time, of course, but then you continue to rent it from the the government and the government will take it from you if you don't keep paying them. So you don't really own your home. Uh, but the reason your taxes on that home get raised is to pay for the pensions of public sector workers and Medicaid predominantly. And that, those are the spikes. Those are the reasons you have these places like Illinois and New York. Illinois and New York have <clears throat> enormous um, obligation, debt obligations that they can't fulfill or over the long run that will be ruinous to these states. They're going to want a federal bailout, of course, which is one of the things they're trying to do right now, trying to bring together this moment of crisis in order to get federal dollars to make up for the profligate spending. of the I think I used that word correctly. Sometimes the words just come out of my mouth. I don't even think about it. A profligate spending of the past. Um, so that's where we are on that. So I just want to note that when they're saying, oh, what Trump it, that's a stupid argument. It doesn't make any sense. And kids are not adults in bars. Adults in bars can be 50 years old, have diabetes and a history of asthma. Children who and in that case, yeah, if they get COVID, that's really bad. That's really scary. You know, the people in my life who are seniors, I am much more cautious and careful around them, limiting time, limiting duration than with people who are in their 20s or 30s, because I'm looking at the data. But the way that we're being told the public health experts want us to live our lives, We're all supposed to act like there's no difference here. We're all equally, you know, the equality obsession of the left, not just equality of opportunity, equality of ends, equal, 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 but actually always unequal because of historic oppression and injustice. And so they want to equalize that by making some of us less equal than others. But I know I'm starting to get dizzy just thinking about how the libs think about things. Makes no sense. Uh, They want to treat us all like we are equally at risk from this disease and make us all live under that oppressive regime when it's just not true. It's just not true. The truth doesn't really seem to matter to them very much these days, does it?
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
1: You know what we really need right now? A multi-millionaire celebrity to tell us how disappointed in us he is for us not doing enough to stop
2: COVID. That's what we need. Play clip six. I don't get it. (laughs) I I simply do not get it. It is literally the least you can do. And if you want to, if anybody wants to build up an argument about doing the least they can do, I wouldn't trust them with a driver's license. I mean, when you drive a car, you got to obey speed, speed, uh, speed limits. You got to use your turn signal. You got to avoid hitting pedestrians. If you can't do those three things, then I get it. You shouldn't be driving a car. If you can't wear a mask and wash your hands and social distance, I I don't understand. I I got no respect for you, man. I don't buy your argument.
1: Stick to acting. Leave public policy to people who read. I'm just going to say I'm sorry. We, we, don't need, we don't need this guy winning. I know he had COVID. I know a lot of people have had COVID. That doesn't give you some special designation as a COVID expert. Uh, how does he know that people aren't doing all that? We've been doing this. I, we've been washing our hands and social distancing and doing all this stuff for months, and the disease still spreads all over the place. It still has spread all over the country. And I think some of you in other parts of the country, when, when it was so bad in New York, are thinking, Buck, come on, the rest of the country is fine. Now it's spread other places, but it is spreading to younger people, It is spreading at a time when we know more about it. Don't yet have a really good treatment, but we're getting closer, hopefully. We'll see if hydroxychloroquine earlier in the process, the progression of the disease, is as useful as that most recent study, the surprise study from CNN that CNN talked about, um, says. But we're doing better at handling this. So, you know, on the one hand, you've got people like Tom. uh, I was going to say Tom Cruise. What's his name? Tom Hanks. Might as well hear from Tom Cruise. Same same thing. Uh, doing the mask and hand wash shaming situation. When we've, been, we've all been living in a world of social distance, mask, hand washing for months and months and months. And, you know, I'm sure it's probably helped a little bit in terms of limiting transmission. But remember, all you need is one person who has the disease, who is in a situation where they don't do that. And now they can spread it to a whole bunch of folks. So. You know, we're, we're really, you know, we're being held to this impossible standard. How how does anybody know that we're not doing enough? I think that a lot of us have done a ton. But to, to borrow from his analogy about driving a car. OK, yeah, there are speed limits. Guess what? If we're going to talk about masks and speed limits and driving, Mr. Hanks, speed limits change. Some places it's 35. Some places it's 55. There's not a speed limit for everything. There could be. And that would be dumb and people wouldn't want to do that. And everything would be more expensive and slower and more annoying in terms of transportation. But no, some places you go 65, some places you go 25. Because of the conditions around it. That's how I approach masking. Sometimes, yeah, wear a mask because you're in a particular circumstance where you could be spreading and even a little bit of additional help. But outside all the time? In classrooms in Europe, the kids aren't wearing masks and they're fine. So I, I find his analogy actually quite useful because the um, the mask absolutists are the equivalent of people who are saying, why can't you be responsible? Try the speed limit. And people like me are saying, OK, which speed limit? I'm not saying we can't have a speed limit, but how fast is it? Twenty miles an hour nationwide. That would be a bad idea fifty five miles an hour nationwide maybe it should be dependent upon the circumstances you are applying it to hashtag science hashtag data but also don't be um somebody who takes it takes your your mask fury too far. Here is a guy in Costco who was clearly having a bad day and got fired from his job as a result of this exchange. I, th- I think it did not help his cause that he had a, a t-shirt on that said uh, ruling the world since 1776 or something like that. I think that that further triggered the libs that made this all go quite viral. Uh, Producer Mark Plicklip won.
3: You're six feet away from you. You're harassing me. My I'm not harassing
1: friend. you. you want to you're,
3: you're, coming friend. Friend. you're coming close Back to me. You're coming close to me. again! Dead. Back the f*** up, put your f phone down.
1: Yeah, sir, sir, please. Yeah, see, libs are allowed to say they feel threatened for anything. Oh, I, I, we'll get into this. They, I feel threatened by that letter you wrote about free speech. I'm threatened. I feel unsafe. Right, this, is a, this is a tactic they deploy. It's not going to work if you're a white male who I don't even know if this guy's a conservative or not, doesn't matter. But if you're a white male who seems a bit physically imposing under the circumstances and you're screaming, I feel threatened, unfortunately, that's going to go against you. So, you know, don't allow the mask shamers to get the best of you by forcing an error here, by uh, bringing you to a place of rage where you get put on video and lose your job. You know, people love to do this thing now of catch individuals in their worst moments on video and have it go viral, and this public shaming that comes along with it, it's, uh, I, I don't know how we ever make this go away, I don't think it is, but here's the one part of it that if there is a silver lining or some aspect of it that we can say is good, at least it means that every single person listening to this, you know that the things I'm talking about with cancel culture and the consequences of the socialist absolutism that is now dominant in all of our major cultural institutions in this country in some way, um, that and the HR departments have been overtaken by this. And that just goes to show you, it affects you. This isn't just for the people, the politicians and the media people that are making this argument in public or who are public figures. What used to be a concern of public figures is now a problem for every single person listening to this all over the country. I can't say all over the world necessarily, but well, all over the world too, because they'll come after you As an American online, even if you live over in South Korea or the Czech Republic or wherever. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex
0: and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, everybody, it's time for the
5: Fauci
4: update about the latest numbers, the data, the mitigation,
1: you know, caution, science, words time for Fauci to weigh in because you may be thinking to yourself oh, at some point I'm going to get my life back but Fauci's here to be like, probably not you're going to be living with this for like the next, I don't know 50, 60 years maybe, however much time you got left, I'm not sure, no big whoop but you know, just stay home don't do anything fun don't see anybody you love don't, you know lift your mask up too long while you're eating food Mitigation. Fauci's out there to make sure that we all think that we're never going to win. So that's good to know. Until the vaccine, which who knows when the vaccine will come. Increasingly, it's looking like this is going to be similar to a flu vaccine where they're throwing darts at a board. This year, maybe we get it next year. Maybe we don't. And, you know, a small percentage overall, the country is even going to be taking it. I say small, you know, roughly 30 to 40 percent, I think, of Americans uh, get a flu vaccine every year. It's called about 30%. That's not that many in the grand scheme of things. It helps, but it only helps if the vaccine is effective. And who knows if it really is. Well, they don't usually know until they've made it. And then by the time they make an updated vaccine, it's too late in the season. And maybe you've already gotten the flu. But that's what we're all seeing. That's what we all deal with. So now I think it's time for us to look at where the data is, where the numbers are. And, and, and as is my... As is my custom, I like to look at the CDC uh, case number and death number every day before I come on the show um, and tell you the latest information. Uh, so let's see what I can get. I mean, I, I told you this yesterday, right? CDC, um, the CDC deaths, let's see what they say from this for COVID. And it's usually in the 200 to 300 range. 300 and, oh, no, well, this, I'm sorry. This is, they haven't yet, as I'm on here, they haven't yet updated it yet. But there were 322 deaths yesterday, 46,000 new cases. Okay. Shouldn't that tell us that something's going on here? If we're at a peak in cases, and have been now for a week, a week and a half, and you have hospitalizations that are much shorter, even for those who are hospitalized from this, and the death number is down, you know, 80 to 90 percent, depending on the count you're talking about. Isn't something going on that's worthwhile? Well, Dr. Fauci wants, you to know, no, don't feel better about this. It's not a good story. You know, here's what I got to say. Play clip
5: five. Uh, I want to emphasize just because it's such important what the senator just said, that it's a false narrative. To take comfort in in a lower rate of death. There's so many other things that are very dangerous and bad about this virus. Don't get yourself into
1: false complacency. What is he talking about? Oh now we're gonna to get to the oh well people who survive, you know, some of them say they have lingering symptoms or they have. Okay, so are we or are we going to then no notice that we were told shut down or people will die. And now we have numbers about how many people are dying from this and they don't justify a shutdown. So now they're going to say that the symptoms that you have or the possibility of, of you know, lingering effects of this, that's going to justify a shutdown. See how, see how we can never get out of shutdown with these people. The data that's used to justify it today is data that tomorrow they will forget all about and they'll tell you, sorry, we have a new metric we're going to use, all right? We have a new system of how we're going to gauge when, when, it's, when it's safe. This is a subjective term. Nothing is entirely safe, really, in life. There's risk with going outside your house, as I'm fond of saying, because it's a line that I remember from the movie Heat with Al Pacino, you get killed walking your doggy." Some of you will catch that. And I don't know, if you, only if you've seen Heat a hundred times for some reason like I have. But it's true. And I still walk my dog three times a day, a little to, little to lose. She's, she's an adorable, chubby little monster. But this is what we're dealing with now. We can't even, it's a false narrative that the deaths are down. No, that's not a false narrative. That's really important. That's really important. And, you know, I remember when Chris Cuomo had this and he was in the, you know, he was in the mansion in the Hamptons. He's like, yeah, everybody listen to the doctors, you know, man, I can't even take my protein weight gainer these days because I'm just like so tired all the time. And Fauci was calling him every night, apparently. That was my first big red flag that something's wrong with Dr. Fauci here. You got time? You're supposed to be running the coronavirus effort. You're sucking up to Chris Cuomo? letting them know, you know, you're going to be fine, you're going to be fine. So when a celebrity, you know, Lib Giorno gets this, the message is, eh, you're young, you're going to be fine. But for the rest of us, it's panic! Stay panicked! When does it end? When does it end? Are, are we now going to be told about some people here and there have some symptoms of this that lingers? Guess what? Some people have symptoms of a lot of things that can linger. But notice they keep moving. The, the goalposts are used to get what they want when they want it, and then they move them, and then they shut us down again. Explicitly, that's what they've done in New York. Oh, you know, we we need to get to this for Phase 3 reopen. Well, Phase 3 is not going to be what we said it was, because other places are having problems. Oh, okay, so when it's really bad in New York, a very blue Democrat state, we obviously are on the most severe lockdown they can possibly come up with, and then when things get better over time because the virus has passed through and because it's summertime and people are outdoors more oh no it's because of all of our mitigation sure it is uh as that happens yeah because every year the flu goes away because of all the hand washing and social distancing that goes on right think about this for yourself don't allow these people to to kind of you know intellectually browbeat you or blackmail you into thinking things that don't make any sense Every day now, Cuomo you know, oh, we did all these things so good. We were, we were so strong with the uh, social distancing and the masks. And we used the masks and the social distancing so well that now we're at the lower level of cases. Why are we at lower level of cases? Because you listen to me and don't ask me any questions about the nursing homes. That's what has actually happened here if you are going to believe Democrat propaganda and absurd nonsense, Right. That that's the look at other respiratory infections. They spike and then they go down every year in summertime. That's just the way it happens. That doesn't mean it's gone, but it spikes and it goes down. In this case, we have a newly introduced infection that has spread to other parts. But it's just it is the first this he is right that this is. Give give credit where it's due to Fauci. This is the first wave. Place 16, please. The current
5: state is really not good in the sense that, as you know, we had been uh, in a situation where we were averaging about 20,000 new cases a day and then a series of circumstances associated with various states and cities trying to open up in the sense of getting back to some form of normality has led to a situation where we now had record-breaking cases. Uh, Two days ago, it was at 57,500. So within a period of a week and a half, we've almost doubled the number of cases.
1: You know what's going to happen? And as I've said, get ready for this. Yes, there is a spike, there's a surge, there'll be additional hospitalizations, and some people, unfortunately, will die from this disease. That's going to happen no matter what we do, no matter what we say. That's just going to happen. It has been happening. It will continue to happen. Uh, you know, we take precautions. You're trying to, trying to do reasonable things to limit your exposure. But lockdown is not reasonable. That's the point. And it'll drop in these other places the same way that it has dropped in New York. It'll peak and it'll go down the same way it has all over the world. Places that have lockdowns, places that don't have lockdowns. I mean, I, there was a piece today in the New York Times, Sweden has a cautionary tale. Why is it a cautionary tale? They're in the middle of the pack in Europe, you know, not as good as Norway and Denmark, but way better than the U.K., than Spain, than Italy, than Belgium. Belgium was crushed by this disease. So why are we we singling out Sweden? Because Sweden did not lock down its economy. Oh, so now they're saying, well, the economy still got hurt. Okay, there are reasons to not lock down an economy that aren't just about economic productivity. Letting people live their freaking lives. That's a part of this, too. Freedom, choice, a reason to get up in the morning. All right? that's starting to feel like we're in that scene in the Matrix where all the human beings are in the pink goo and being used as batteries for the, for the Matrix to perpetuate itself. That's kind of what lockdown starts to feel like after a while. Stay home, eat lots of food, don't move, don't go to the gym, don't go to parks, don't go to beach, you know. It's like we're all little batteries feeding the statist overlords in our system until the Democrats can take over, and then maybe we can all get out from the the pouch covered in pink goo.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
1: Okay, a victory today. The Supreme Court for... The Little Sisters of the Poor, in case you had forgotten, because I think we've got so much these days, totally understandable that this might have slipped out of the, of the memory banks a little bit. The Little Sisters of the Poor were hounded, I mean, were, were targeted by the Obama administration Department of Justice because this is a group of nuns who did not want to pay through their health care for birth control, and also, uh, I think Plan B was the was the other uh, part of this that was troubling for them. So they, as because as a religion, first of all, they're nuns, so they're at least from all that we know, not engaging in any activity that would require birth control. But more than that, for their employees or people who work with them, they do they have a moral objection to having their funds that allow them to operate as nuns, to go to paying for uh, birth control. And this is, a, this is a real consideration for them. This is a... a, uh, a, a I'm trying to... I'm blanking on the, on the term, but a religious conviction, a sincere religious conviction. There we go. Sincerely held belief. That's what I was trying to think of as the term. And today, by a 7-2 decision, the Supreme Court said yeah you can't you can't make these nuns pay for these these uh products. You can't make the little sisters of the poor pay for contraception. That's going to be a little bit too much. Now, I understand this is oh big win. First of all, it's been a, an abysmal month in the Supreme Court for people who are um, who care about constitutional rights and. And individual freedoms and all the rest of it. It's, it's been an abysmal month, okay? But yeah, okay, this was the right decision. Keep in mind it wasn't 9-0, it was 7-2. Sotomayor, the least capable mind on the Supreme Court. Uh, and Ginsburg, who is just a, I mean, it's like you have the head of Planned Parenthood on the Supreme Court, effectively. I know she was a senior counsel at the ACLU, but you know, you might it's like it's like they the Libs managed to put the, the head of Planned Parenthood on the Supreme Court and say, look, see, she's a genius. Um, so those two libs said, no, no, they should be able to make them do this. And there's a whole argument that I, I'm not even really going to get into today where it's is uh, contraception really is it is it health care or is it a decision that involves one's health? It's not necessarily the same thing. Uh, but here's where I come down on this one. I find it very difficult to view this as a cause of celebration. I think it's more just an exhalation of relief. Okay, so religious freedom hasn't had yet another nail put in its coffin. But here's where I see this going. They're not going to stop harassing religious groups with things like this. They're still, they're still going to sue nuns. The libs haven't changed their minds on any of this. They're not going to respect this as precedent. And the left, when it comes up for a big, momentous decision, they all of a sudden don't care about precedent. When a conservative, quote-unquote, judge like Roberts wants to give the libs what they want, oh, well, there's a precedent to lean on, or oh, we need, to, we need to sort of split this decision down the middle. We don't want to have the court be a tool of politics when it is obviously being used by the left as a tool of politics. So they've ruled in favor of the Little Sisters of the Poor, but this fight is not even a little bit over. Maybe this particular case is, but they're still going to try to find ways to make um, Christians bend the knee to the liberal agenda. And one area where you can see this is definitely going to happen is uh, in the realm of transgender rights because of the decision that Gorsuch signed on to. Now you're going to see challenges under the emboldened transgender rights doctrine in the Supreme Court now which Gorsuch you know blessed uh, now you're going to see religious institutions assaulted on those grounds you know why won't you at your Catholic school hire this transgender um, you know th- this transgender teacher or you know why won't you allow this transgender person to become a priest or whatever it is that's there's going to be more lawsuits there's going to be they're just going to keep the, the lawfare against religious faith will continue against Christian and uh, and conservative Orthodox Jewish faith. It will continue. Against other religions, the ACLU is going to be very hands off. I can assure you on that. No, they're they're allowed to do what they need to do. They have religious freedom because they're not part of, you know, in the minds of liberals, the, the system of oppression and white supremacy that has overtaken this country, or has always been the foundation of this country, depending on which lib you talk to. So here you have a, a a victory, but I think it'll be somewhat fleeting. And it's really like, think of it instead of winning, it's as though they have repelled an assault on religious freedom, but inside the keep of the castle. I mean, this if this had gone against them, You'd have to ask what's really left of religious freedom. What can you not be told to do? Can you tell tell nuns that they have to directly pay out of their pocket to pay for other people's abortions? I mean, you know, what is too far? So yes, they were able to prevent a total collapse here, but we are, you know, and I think analogies are useful here. We are, we are defending, we are defending on the on our own ten yard line of religious liberty. We we are not running down to their end zone, spiking the football and doing a victory dance. No, 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 no. This is almost like a goal line stand for the First Amendment. And they're going to keep on running it up the middle until they get through. That's their plan. And if you look at the last, well, the last 50 years of Supreme Court jurisprudence, they're basically winning. They keep doing it because when they, their victories are forever. Conservative victories conserving the society we have as we know it and the Constitution as it was written. uh, Those are those are always under sustained assault until there's a breach. And then legally, culturally, psychologically, this country has accepted. Well, when, when the libs get what they want in the court, that's forever. That that sacrosanct can't be changed. When conservatives have a defense of freedom or liberty, no, 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 just give it time. There'll be another opportunity to tear it down. There'll be another opportunity to erode what the court has already decided. So, you know, we are on perpetual defense. That's really, you know, we do not look at things like the Second Amendment. They won't even take up cases to defend the Second Amendment. So, what you have are states and various Democrat prosecutors and, and, you know, law enforcement entities just keep on doing everything they can to make it impossible to get a gun, make it annoying to be able to, you know, take it anywhere. Make sure that there's really strict rules about magazine capacity, all this nonsense. The Supreme Court's like, well, I mean, that's the Second Amendment, but, you know, you, you got to be able to have it in your home if you pass a bunch of annoying tests and deal with all kinds of stuff that you would not have to deal with otherwise. That's, that's as much, that's as far as they're willing to go on this. So am I looking at this and saying it's a great thing? I think you have to look at this and say, OK, this is going, oh, there was another another case as well that came down that said that uh, a, a person, two people who were fired from a Catholic inst from a Catholic school, um, that the schools aren't covered under the same employment law protections because they're religious institutions as other places. So, I mean, there's a there's a couple of of uh, points, data points in fa- in favor here. But when you think about some of the other cases that have come down, when you think about the ruling on, on you know, transge- sex to include gender identity, which is just a- another one of these decisions that anybody who is being honest will look back on and say, how could they have done so much violence to the law here? Um, so that's, that's inevitable. And, and then you have the DACA case, where Obama can decide that he can do something that's unconstitutional. There is not a uh, court that will stop him with DACA. And then Trump can come in and say, well, I'm going to use my same executive power and authority that Obama had to not make that executive decision that he made. And the Supreme Court will say, we don't like your reasons for it. So, Administrative Procedures Act, bam, blocked. Really? Really? Yes, really, this is the country we live in now, folks. Remember, these are all just human beings making these decisions. We don't have some uh, court of, we call it the Supreme Court, but these are just people, they're just lawyers. And they're people that want to be, you know, they want their kids to be treated nicely in school, and they they want, uh, you know, legal articles to reflect their brilliance, and they have egos, and they have their own policy predilections, and... This is why it's so important that it is all rooted in the actual text and, and purpose of the Constitution. But no, what we have increasingly is just the Supreme Court as another super legislature. And I don't know how we turn this back. Oh, and the libs will pack the court as soon as they can. Don't don't think they won't.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck, Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: How snobby. And gutless and stupid is our news media. Now, I know that's a very it's very broad, right? A lot of people in news media. But but who are some of the the big names in the legacy lib news media that you think of? And and you have to wonder at what lengths are they willing to go to continue this charade that Donald Trump is the worst person to have ever been in the Oval Office in the history of the world. Donald Trump is just the worst person on the planet, and that liberal insanity that we've all been put through for the last six weeks isn't really a problem. I mean, how could anyone really make that argument given what we are seeing in cities? But no, Uh, Bro Cuomo and Don Lemon, uh, they over at CNN, they think this is a a point of of humor. They think this is uh, ridiculous that uh Democrat cities are like, so full of crime. No, they are, actually. But here's, here's what the, the multimillionaire, entirely replaceable by anybody who works for any local news station anywhere in the country, of course, but uh, here's what they, they have to say about the state of crime in cities in America right now. Uh, play clip two.
5: Trump's um, poll numbers go south. They kick
2: in with a, a, a no dem-
5: position on the Confederate flag.
2: Yeah. Democratic cities are in chaos right now. Is this what you want from Joe Biden? And they're going to take your country away and they're taking down the statues. And crime is crime rising. is as rising. They oh, my gosh. It's so bad. And they get defunding police. It's like.
1: <sighs> ha ha ha. Crime is rising. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. A lot of people are dying. You morons. But haha, crime is rising, huh? That's a fact. That's a fact. In New York, it's a fact in Chicago. I'm sure it's a fact in a lot of other cities if you started to crunch the numbers. People are getting shot. Cops aren't feeling uh, supported enough to do their jobs. Every cop you talk to will tell you this. In Atlanta, they've had to call in the National Guard because of all of the violence. This is funny. I mean, do these morons even read the website that they work for, technically, CNN? I mean, do they even know what's going on? But all that matters is, oh, Trump, yeah. You know what the biggest problem facing the country is? Has a journalist asked Trump in the last six hours about the Confederate flag? That's the real concern that we should all have. Not people getting shot and murdered in the streets because of trash heaps like CNN that promote lies constantly. Oh, it's so dangerous for people because of cops. Oh my gosh, how could we all? Look at what the cops are doing. They're all frauds. Trust me. Pro Cuomo, Don Lemon, any of the CNN anchors, any of the CNN correspondents, they heard something go bump in the night. They heard a problem at their window or at their front door. They'd call the cops and they'd be begging for them to get there as soon as possible. We all know this, but yet they have no problem going on TV and just trashing them. You might say, oh, Buck, but no, they're just talking about. But no, they're not. They're, they're defund. Oh, defund cops. That's funny. It's actually happening in places. They're, they're, they're pulling funding from the NYPD in New York City to give more broadband access to uh, housing projects. Th- that's supposed to. Oh, if people have Wi-Fi, there'll be less shootings. They, they really think this. And they don't think that that's, uh, at CNN, they don't think that's uh, absurd. No, no, they mock, they mock the people that have a problem with the spike in crime. They mock uh, people like me who live in New York, who live in midtown Manhattan, right in the middle of it. I don't live in a multi-million dollar uh, mansion. I live in a small apartment just trying to pay my bills, just trying to go about my life. And there's a, a sense that every New Yorker will tell you, that it is less safe here on the streets at night. There are more aggressive, belligerent, dangerous vagrants than you usually see on New York City streets. I saw another hypodermic needle on the street on my block yesterday. I saw a guy shooting up heroin a few weeks ago in broad daylight. These are not normal things for where I live. I've had a, a night where it was like the purge outside and people were shattering windows and going crazy crazy. In the, in the most expensive shopping district in New York, perhaps in the world, certainly the most famous, and they think this is all funny? These morons think this is funny? Oh, but but what, about, what about the message of BLM, Buck? We're, yeah, a nice try. The message of BLM has turned into destroy America, undermine the country, pull down the statues, get rid of the founders, and do everything we say or else. And no jokes... No free speech, no fun that's also a part of this right don't have to don't enjoy yourself unless we say you can one of one of the the biggest areas of victory for the woke left and it's it's uh i don't know how we turn this back because it's about a sensibility it's about cultural norms. You can't make jokes anymore you can't make jokes no,'m not allowed to make fun of things you know i you can have. That woman who's like, it's frightening to people that you have a, hey, remember that woman, uh, I forget name Robin something or other? It's frightening that you have a, a child who is brown sitting on your lap, and you're a white man. She's freaking out in the, I played the audio for earlier. You know, there are a lot of really funny things I could say about her, but better watch out. Oh, that's, you know, that sounds uh, like misogynistic or something. You know, oh, oh, then they come after you. Can't make fun. Can't make. The left deserves mountains of ridicule and people who are out there ruining careers and canceling people and getting them fired and 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 making it hard for them to support themselves and their families and humiliating them. And if you mock them and they deserve to be mocked, but you go after some of their protected leftism, ooh, you Nobody will stand up for you. Nobody's going to say, oh, that's okay. I've said before, I can't can't do accents of um, non-white individuals on radio. And this is, no one's ever told me that rule. I just know, right? I can do Italian and Russian and English and Irish. There are a lot of other accents I could do, not if I don't want to get canceled. Why do we accept that? Can't make jokes, can't be funny. If you're a lib, they'll forgive you even for wearing blackface back in the day as Jimmy Kimmel did, right? If you're a lib, then all of a sudden the rules are a little... But even libs have to be careful. Sometimes they'll they'll feed their own to the mob just so they can maintain that degree of power. But humor is now... Public humor is very difficult. Making jokes, making fun of anybody on the left because what they will do... Is find an ism to tie your joke to and attack you with it and and uh, and say you're a bad person and we can't we can't just all laugh as long as we say, oh that was actually kind of funny, that was a funny joke oh no. They can ridicule us in the most and they think it's of course really funny right? They can ridicule oh you know remember the guy that went on uh, the one on CNN he's like yeah you know those those idiots with their with their bobbles and their guns and the whole you know he did that whole thing on CNN. You can make fun of, make fun of of white christians in every way as in a nasty a fashion as you want and that's fine but if you make a joke about the absurdity of people who are like
2: there are 37 genders
1: you're like what no there's not whoa be careful watch out this is a huge uh this is a huge uh, weapon that's been taken off the table rhetorically speaking for pushing back on this insanity one, one thing that totalitarians cannot abide is mockery. They, they can't do it. You mock them. You make fun of them. You erode their power. They know it. And The left is screaming for ridicule right now. All these, you know, all these white Wellesley graduates who are like, I hate the cops. You, how do you sleep at night? A little screaming at them and everything. People should be, they should be getting made fun of all over the place. But oh, are you making fun of Black Lives Matter? No, I'm making fun of one moron who's, but, but you know, even, even go to that point. Could you, can you, you can now start to debate the movement. Can you make fun of the movement? Do you see anybody making fun of the movement? This is a, this is a huge part of discourse and of our culture that we, we've effectively just seeded this to the other side. No jokes that upset the left or else. We've got to find a way to turn that around.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is
1: the Buck Sexton Show podcast. At first, it sounds good, right? A letter on justice and open debate. Say to yourself, all right, this is what we need, right? We need to start letting people think and talk and not have this crazy cancel culture stuff everywhere and not have all this nonsense going on, right? This is what everybody would initially think, as they saw, or at least a lot of people would, as they saw the Harper's Magazine letter on justice and open debate. And you know, there's some famous, some famous folks. J.K. Rowling signed this, you know, for all you Gryffindors or or Snapes or I don't, I've never read the Harry Potter books. Producer Mark, have you read them?
4: Yes, I love them dearly.
1: Really. Yeah, I love the books, love the movies. We, we've discussed this before. You're so deadpan, dude. I can never know if you're messing with me. Oh, no, I'm 100% yeah. serious. I love the Harry Potter movies and books. So, okay. So he knows more, a lot more about that I do. I've seen one of the movies and I've read none of the books. Anyway, she's a billionaire author. J.K. Rowling. Salman Rushdie on the list. Uh, let's see who else that you would know, perhaps. I don't know. Gloria Steinem. Uh, I don't know. There's, there's other people on here, too. David Frum, who thinks he's a lot smarter than he is. Uh, John McWhorter, he's a smart dude over at Columbia University. Anyway, some people you know, a lot of people you don't. Bunch of writers and, uh, you know, intellectuals or whatever. And this is how they write the first paragraph. So get ready for this. Our cultural institutions are facing a moment of trial. Powerful protests for racial and social justice are leading to overdue demands for police reform along with wider calls for greater equality and inclusion across our society. Not least in higher education, journalism, philosophy, uh, philanthropy, and the arts. But this needed reckoning has also intensified a new set of moral attitudes and political commitments that tend to weaken our norms of open debate and tolerance of differences in favor of ideological conformity. As we applaud the first development, we also raise our voices against the second. The forces of illiberalism are gaining strength throughout the world, and have a powerful ally in Donald Trump who represents a real threat to democracy. But resistance must not be allowed to harden into its own brand of dogma or coercion, which right-wing demagogues are already exploiting. The democratic inclusion we want can be achieved only if we speak out against the intolerant climate that is set on all sides. And then it goes on a little more. Free expression, blah, blah, artists, freedom, you know, a little bit of that stuff. let me just say, that this is hilarious, in a sense. They're writing about what is really cancel culture and the dogmatic, authoritarian uh, mania of the Democrat, socialist, leftist political side. Okay? The left, the libs. This is coming from them. This is, this is their reality. Right? But just so that they like, cover themselves a little bit, they're like, I mean, we know Trump is super illiberal. They're, they're delusional. Trump gets criticized as a traitor. Trump has had journalists actively collude to get him thrown out of office and throw him in prison with lies. That's the whole Russia collusion thing. That's what they did. That's what CNN and the deep state and DOJ and all this stuff. And they act like Trump's a threat to free speech. Everyone who in in the journalism world speaks out against Trump gets more famous, gets more money. Oh, but they're so brave. They're so brave because Trump is a tyrant. They're out of their minds. And right wing demagogues already seizing on this. You mean conservatives are saying you guys are ruining the country with this crap? The anti intellectualism, anti freedom position of liberals, quote, liberals is ruining America. You are ruining our institutions. You are ruining our corporations. You are ruining our lives with this crap. This babyish,
2: oh, I feel unsafe by your words. Your words make me feel unsafe. I don't like.
1: And it's just so perfect that they start out this letter, all these big, you know, Salman Rushdie and all these big, the uh, guy wrote one book like 40 years ago, and since then has done nothing, but anyway. Uh, all these big names we often to hear about. And they, they take their initial... And by the way, no one even would have known about the book except the Ayatollah put out a hit on him, which, you know, is crazy. And, and that, that's illiberal. That's what true tyrants do. They'd say, oh, I don't like your book. I'm going to actually put out a bounty on your head now. right that, That's something that we all could say, oh, wow, that's really scary. They act like Trump is, you know, basically the Ayatollah. Yeah, they're, they're absurd. And right-wing demagogues are seizing on this. No, we're just pointing out the obvious truth that this is destroying destroying discourse and and just intelligent conversation and destroying the world of ideas and so much of the actual physical manifestation of the world around us is pushed by ideas right whether it's wars between nation states or you know religious conflicts or just how we feel that we all come together as one people in america and all this stuff these are all ideas and they're they're creating a, a conformity that is totalitarian. And this is all coming from one side of the political spectrum. It's coming from people who really are using identity politics. That's the main weapon. You know, say what we want or else you are anti-trans, you're anti-gay, you're anti-black, you're anti... They'll, they'll just go down, they'll pick a an identity politics category, and that is the weapon for silencing all the time. Even if you're not even talking about one of those categories, right? But oh... Your policy on X, your feelings on how we should deal with, you know, a district attorney that won't prosecute murder cases properly is racist. Right. Or, you know, they'll take one thing that has nothing to do with the other and they'll say, ah, but we find a way. That's how they do all the silencing. The great part about this letter, though, is that they did the whole throat clearing about, you know, Trump is a threat and all this other stuff. And guess what? Libs, one already backed out on it. Now others are saying, oh, my gosh, I didn't know all of these people who are signed on to this. They've already had one back out. And the Libs have seen this on, online. I've, I've, reading the comments is amazing. And they want them gone. They want anybody who signed this punished. This is a letter from, you know, exalted intellectuals acceptable in the academy and on the left. And, you know, some of them luminaries of the of the of liberals. And it's like, no, you can't sign that No, Now you guys need to be punished for that to exactly prove the point. Even with the bending of the knee, even with their we know Trump is a big threat, but like maybe we should be able to have a talk, guys. No, the left looks at this and says, you're not allowed to say anything. You shut up. How about a nice warm glass of shut the heck up? That's what they're telling them. Of course. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show
0: podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or
1: wherever you get your podcasts. How is the effort to defeat this uh, Democrat left insanity going? Are we going to actually have Donald Trump win four more years? Is the country going to survive? And what is the best way to grill barbecue ribs in your backyard to answer all of these questions? We are joined by our friend, Mr. Ned Ryan. He is the founder of American Majority PAC. He is also a political commentator. Mr. Ned, good to have you, sir. Yeah, no, good to be back with you, Buck. All right, man. You have been openly critical of how the campaign has been doing. The Trump campaign. This Mount Rushmore speech. I've been saying it. I know you've been sharing this on on uh, Twitter as well. It feels like a little bit of a of a reset of a of a pivot, yeah. but. What are we seeing now, and, and, and are things different? Are you hearing from the campaign that they understand the urgency of the moment and the need to shift the, shift the momentum against the statue, uh, statue-toppling lunatics?
3: I, I am Buck, actually. I, I got to the point where I, I decided I'd pick up the phone and call the boss and, and say I need to share some concerns with you about the campaign. And specifically, Buck, I mean, I've been beating this drum since the beginning of May that we got real issues in Florida. And we got to address this. And so felt that maybe perhaps my concerns weren't being listened to. So I called up the big boss and said, uh, forget polls. I can make a poll that can say whatever I want it to. But you've got real numbers in Florida with absentee ballot requests that are problematic. And so we had a little conversation about that. And the next morning, had a conversation with Jared. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to feed to the campaign the importance of dealing with the absentee ballot requests in Florida. Because just to give you perspective, Buck, Uh, 40 days out from the 2016 elections, Republicans were up about 143,000 absentee ballot requests over Democrats. Currently, as of today, uh, actually yesterday, we were down 323,000 absentee ballot requests. So we basically have to make up over 460,000 absentee ballot requests to get level to where we were uh, in 2016. And the importance of this, just so people understand, if Republicans don't win the absentee ballot mail-in vote in florida which they have traditionally and go into the lead uh into the lead after that democrats usually win the early in-person voting and then we come back roaring back on election day so i I think they are addressing a bit in communication with the campaign just about some of these things and and also about the fact book and i say this as somebody that's done campaigns and a lot of this stuff for the last 20 years you don't really run a national campaign you're really running a seven to ten state race And to focus on where they should be, forget New Mexico, forget Colorado, focus on Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Florida, uh, Virginia, North Carolina, and then throw in Minnesota. But that's where you should be focused. Those are the states you need to win. You win those states, you win reelection.
1: Ned, how are they doing on messaging? Uh, The president has, uh, I think, learned a lesson here about the law enforcement reform gesture as if that's really what these angry mobs want and that would be enough even if they got it uh it, 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 do you think that he's got yeah. has he got the fire back in the belly the fight it just has it hasn't felt like we've been seeing 2016 trump until the mount rushmore speech
3: yeah this is absolutely correct Buck. and and again that was one of the topics in conversation i had with him and said sir you've got the best instinct instincts i've seen in politics in years you got to go back to trusting him you got to go back to what won you election in twenty sixteen. And I got to tell you, that Mount Rushmore speech was phenomenal, Buck. It it was really, truly a defense of the American Republic. I love the line. In fact, it kind of reminded me of something I'd written about in my book, where we are the pinnacle of Western civilization. We truly are the greatest nation the world has ever seen. But he had to recite American history. I was telling my wife this, and I tweeted about this. He literally had to go to Mount Rushmore on a nationally televised speech and recite American history about the four figures behind him because we're not teaching history, because we're not teaching who we are as a people, where we came from. We, we are truly one of the greatest—we're we, the longest-lasting constitutional republic in the history of the world. It didn't happen by chance. I mean, it was very intentional. The decisions made over 240 years ago, uh, it, it, you know, in Philadelphia—the declaration in Philadelphia, very intentional. Our founders knew what they were doing. And I tell people this, Buck. The thing that we have to understand and the reason we've got to fight for this republic— what the founders put in place is they got human nature right. They got it absolutely right. They didn't even trust themselves. I tell people they knew sitting in that room in Philadelphia, 1787, that they were going to be the presidents, the vice presidents, the senators, the representatives, the judges. They didn't trust themselves with consolidated power. They wanted to defuse it. They had the separation of powers at the federal level, the idea of federalism, all of these things. That's what we're up against. We are up against with Black Lives Matter and these very aggressive Marxists they're not about tearing down Confederate statues or defunding police. They want to tear down the old order of the American Republic and usher in a new Marxist one. That's really what the battle is, and that's why I love the messaging. It's really Americanism versus socialism, and I hope that he hits that theme from now until November.
1: Speaking of Ned Ryan, founder of American Majority Pack, also a fellow, a senior fellow at at the uh, American Greatness website. Uh, Ned, you mentioned the places where this election will be determined, and that certainly is the, that is the list, right? Anybody who's following this knows that those are the states. Right. How how are we actually looking in those states? How's our infrastructure? I mean, I, I, it doesn't feel at all like you know. Pretty soon here we're going to be in August, and August is then going to be September, yep. and then it's like <laughs> it's the election, my friends. I mean, we're there. Oh yeah.
3: Well, well, I've been fighting not only highlighting the absentee ballot problem in Florida, but saying you got to bring back your 2016 team. And, and thankfully, Buck, they did that last week. They brought in Susie Wiles, who ran Florida for Trump in 2016. They brought her back. She'll bring back a team. They're going to really hit the ground hard, I think, uh, July 15th. This is a good sign. And I told the campaign yesterday, like the last four days have given me a lot of encouragement. First of all, the reset on the messaging at Mount Rushmore, the, the, re- the shift on the, the Florida staff and bringing back Susie. Those are two major shifts. I haven't told some people at the White House, I think your odds just went up 5 to 10% overall just by fixing Florida. So I'm optimistic. And I tell people this, Buck. I mean, again, going back to poll numbers, I'm a poll skeptic. But if you really want to understand what's taking place, don't look at the national polls. Look at state polls. And look at state polls of likely voters. So you look at Wisconsin. Trafalgar is a very reliable poll. Shows Trump up by one. Shows it dead even in Florida. So start to look at the state polls of registered voters, and you're going to get a little bit of a different story. Do I think Trump is down? Absolutely. Do I think he's down nearly as much as people want to say? Absolutely not. And the other thing, too, to remember, Buck, is this. I think Trump gets a poll tax. People, pollsters call uh, voters. They ask, are you going to vote for Trump? They don't want to admit it to a pollster. They go into that polling booth. They pull the lever for Trump. And I actually think I've seen a poll where uh, likely voters, said by 11 points, right now they would vote for Biden. Who do they think is going to win in November? Trump by two. I mean, that's a 13-point swing among likely voters in the state of Florida. Tells you that a lot of people don't want to admit to a pollster they're going to vote for Trump. They go into that polling booth. I think a lot of them are going to pull that, that lever for for Trump.
1: Are you hearing any sense? And I know you you talked to the big guy himself. You spoke to the president recently about the campaign, which is great. I'm happy to hear that there are sane voices that know this game, know how this is done, that are are weighing in at this stage. Because clearly, look, June was a bad month for the president. uh, No question about it. So we, you know, July needs to start to switch, uh, start to turn in in his favor if we're going to have a real shot going into the actual election. Um, Are you hearing anybody who's talking to him about how maybe you need to bring back some of the old, I don't know, some of the old sauce. I don't mean Trump personally. I mean some of the people around him, you know, the the more Bannon-esque folks here who were in touch with the base, because it feels like, who, who, who is Trump's base whisperer right now that's involved in the campaign right. or that's involved in the in the yeah. public messaging?
3: Yeah, I mean, no, I think you make a really good point, Bob. And the reason I'm actually even talking about having a conversation with Trump is you see all these reports of Carl Rove, and some of these other people going in, I'm like, no, no, we, th- there are people that are with the base that are going in and advising. And I think he's kind of I think he has woken up. I mean, I think the last couple of weeks have been huge for him when he's realized, like you said, beginning of this interview, some of this police reform, this executive order made nobody happy, was not a good move. I think he's realized that and he's got to go back to trusting his own instincts. I mean, that's one of the reasons that, that I'm trying to be more vocal and be more uh, involved is to go in and say, Hey, I'm connected with the base, not only with American majority. I mean, that's what we do. We're out in the States. We're working the grassroots, but sir, I've been with you from pretty much, you know, the, the very beginning and actually going on. And you know, this, you've been on some of these channels, MSNBC, CNN and fighting a good fight. I- I'm with you. You've got to get reelected. And it, and if you don't get reelected, it will be the sentence of darkness. Uh, and, and don't, don't count on Republicans standing with you. And I think that's one thing that I think he's realizing more and more It really is all about him. He should not expect Republicans in D.C. to stand with him. That's fine. There are a lot of people out here that are for him that understand the implications of what's going on in November. We are with him all the way. He makes some of these other changes at the campaign, changes his messaging, starts to really focus on these things. I I like his chances, Buck. I mean, I, I think he's got a legitimate chance. As I told people, he's down. He's not dead. He changes some of these things. We move in the right direction. And the other thing, too, that I remind people, Buck, that that we're kind of not talking about but should be, the Durham bar stuff got pushed back. I think you're going to see some of this stuff come out in August, and I think it's going to be pretty staggering, and the narrative change that will take place. Get the fundamentals right with the campaign. I think there's going to be some really positive narrative changes that are going to take place. Get the fundamentals. Let's go for it. Let's see what happens over the next 16 weeks.
1: Ned Ryan, founder of American Majority PAC. Ned, great to have you, my friend. We'll talk soon.
3: Appreciate it. Thanks, Buck.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
1: What does diversity and inclusion mean according to the people who teach these courses and now get to dictate the policies of corporate America? Well, what is what is diversity and inclusion really mean? You know, we hear about it all the time, but how do you stay on the right side of this and how do you make sure you're OK, well. Let's, uh, let's take a look into one example. The city of Seattle had a session that we now have through a freedom of information or public records request. We have information about it. Uh, hat tip, Christopher Rufo, who did the due diligence to get all this research together. He's a uh, contributing at City Journal, contributing editor. So Christopher Rufo pulls together the city of Seattle, and here's the thread that he wrote on this on Twitter. So that we can know what does it mean to go through this diversity training? What are the kind of concepts that they're not just being raised? You are told to adopt this. I mean, you are told to agree to this stuff or else. Well, here's what he's got. The city of Seattle held a training session for white employees called Interrupting Internalized Racial Superiority and Whiteness. So I did a public records request to find out exactly what this means. Let's go through this together in the thread. First, I mean, this is amazing stuff. Diversity trainers informed white participants that objectivity, individualism, intellectualization, and comfort are all vestiges of internalized racial oppression. So that's right. So when you talk about individualism or objectivity, that's a a racial oppression term that's used. Wow. Christopher Ruffo goes on. Sometimes both sides of the coin are oppression. Are white employees speaking too much? That's probably the internalized racial superiority of imposition or paternalism. Are white employees speaking too little? That's oppression because silence is violence. <laughs> This is real. This is a public records request for the city of Seattle. This is what they teach city employees in these insane leftist enclaves. Maybe CNN can go, ha, 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 and have a big laugh about this. Yeah? Does this seem like it's reasonable stuff? Does this seem sane to any sane person? It's really, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Oh, but it goes on. What's next? The city of Seattle diversity trainers encourage white employees to practice self-talk that affirms their complicity in racism and work on. This is a quote, undoing your own whiteness. Um, Racism is not our fault, but we are responsible practicing self-talk that affirms our complicity in racism. Wow, this is amazing stuff. Talk through your struggles in the work of undoing your own whiteness and showing up as allies and accomplices so you can challenge and support each other. This is what people are being told. You better confront your whiteness. Confess and expunge your whiteness or else. Tax dollars, folks, go into this. And remember, this is not a mandate now. These are not things you get to ignore and say, ah, you know, that was... 15, maybe 10 years ago. The diversity trainers come into college and they tell all this stuff. And then, you know, the, the frat bros are going to frat bro and other people are going to, you know, the artsy kids are going to do that. And everyone kind of just goes and it's a free-for-all. Everyone's just drinking too much and, you know, having a little too much casual sex on campus, right? Like that's what used Now it's, oh no, you better listen to all this diversity stuff because you're going to be held to account on this. You better be willing to stand up in class and... Denounce your white privilege and your whiteness or else. Christopher Rufo continues here. Remember, this is what he polled from the city of Seattle. It's amazing. What happens after the thought exercises? It's time to do the work. The trainers ask white employees to let go of comfort, guaranteed physical safety, social status and relationships with some other white people. They then go through a flowchart that outlines how white people cause harm to people of color, show up small and inauthentic, and are unable to access their humanity. My friends, this is... I mean, this is just straight-up ideological brainwashing with, with brainless slogans, right? This is just absurd. But this is not different than I'm sure what's being trained to your kids if they're in college maybe even in high school now if they're in public school I don't know I don't have kids this is, this is what diversity training stuff is this is being uh, forced into people's faces and you must uh, you know, not only do you sit there and listen and be respectful of this idiocy you are told to comply with its demands or else show your appreciation for it celebrate it not even enough to bend the knee when the left tells you to bend the knee look up at them and say thank you so much for taking away my individual thought my freedom and my free expression thank you so much for forcing contradictory absurd and even immoral beliefs down my throat thank you so much This is amazing. This is wonderful. How can I help in your work here? How can I be an ally and an accomplice? Mr. Rufo continues. In case some people are wondering if they're really white, they pass out a data sheet called Assimilation into Whiteness. Are you of Arab, Jewish, Finnish, German, Italian, Armenian, or Irish descent? You're definitely white. No getting out of this. The invitation for this training was strictly segregated, this is stunning, to white city employees only. The goal is to teach them how to have how they have complicit complicity in the system of white supremacy and must be held accountable to black, indigenous, and people of color. End quote How do you know when you've been successful in the training? When you implicate yourself in racism? when other white people may be angry and when you have stopped your white normative behavior. That's right. Apologize and fo- apologize for and erase your whiteness as fast as you can or else you're complicit in racism. This is what people are being taught with tax dollars as public employees. Thanks for
0: listening to the Bus Buck and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the
1: iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Can you be charged with a hate crime for painting over painted words on public property? The answer in the Bay Area of San Francisco, in the city of Martinez, is apparently yes. Yes, you can. ABC News here with the story. A white California couple has been charged with a hate crime after they were seen on video defacing a Black Lives Matter mural. Two people identified by the district attorney as etc uh, etc et in cetera. In a video of this, the man identified as Nelson can be heard saying there's no racism. It's a leftist lie. No one wants Black Lives Matter here. He was wearing Trump 2020 garb and yelled, make America great again. Um, look, this is a pol- this is a political fight. This is not a hate crime, folks. Now, if we're going to be letter of the law, people, you know, if, if it's a mural And labor and time went into that. You know, could this be considered uh, petty vandalism? Yes, right? I mean, let's be... If you have permission to paint something somewhere, right? If I have a grocery store and I want a mural painted on the side and someone comes along with black spray paint and uh, sprays all over it, that's not okay. But I hate crime? Come on! But this is what they're trying to do. That's the whole... Don't you see? That's the whole purpose of Black Lives Matter is to take the left's Marxism and... Rooted in identity politics, where they can always use the the most uh, the most strident and devastating attacks on their opponents possible by claiming that everything against this movement is racism is a hate crime. That's what they're trying to do, and they're being successful. And they're being successful. Um, that public property is now taking what is a current political movement, and right. I mean, this is no. What if a Republican towns wanted to start writing? MAGA all over public buildings yeah we're gonna have a MAGA mural in the in the city you know in uh, town square does that seem right to people oh but BLM is not about politics I mean we're really gonna play this game yeah they're gonna play this game dishonesty so much dishonesty black lives Matter is about a lot more than just police violence against black men as we know police murders of black men is really what it's about they say but it's not it's about all these other things, all this other stuff. We know this. But that's right. Mess with a the, they, So they can deface monuments, do all these things. The left is fine with that. But oh, if you paint over the the, the the mural, I think it was just a sign that said, I mean, just painted words. Black Lives Matter. If you paint over that. It's a hate crime. Couldn't go to prison for a year for this. I mean, this is uh, this is not good, folks. Free expression, free thought. If they can wrap their political ideology in this protective this protective covering of, oh, BLM, any opposition of BLM is a hate crime. Well, uh, look, this is why I, I find hate crime legislation to be very problematic. Crimes are crimes. Establishing special crimes, especially for things that aren't criminal behavior, absent this this assumed intent, uh, it's, a, it's an issue. Right? And this is how you get people to say, oh, I saw a rope, it's a noose. No, it's actually uh, used by construction workers to lift up you know, cans of paint, which anybody would know if they weren't, oh, so hysterical about it. My friends, they will use every tool. The left, the Democrats will use everything that they have to silence you, to defeat you, and to make you do what they want, and to be in power, and to feel like they're the good people even as the society around them is crumbling and some of the most precious parts of our society, freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of religion, are just under assault from these people. They are. Democrats are attacking all of us. They don't believe in any of these freedoms. They want control to tell you what to do all the time, everywhere. Liberalism is a lie that the left tells people. They are illiberal. They are anti-liberty. Don't forget it.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Like soft butter on warm toast, time to spread some freedom coast to coast.
1: It's time for roll call. All right facebook.com slash buck sexton if you want to email us team buck at iheartmedia.com we love getting the messages please make sure you're also bookmarking and checking in at bucksexton.com and uh make sure that you share our buck brief which will be up on facebook today and the best thing you can do is share it i like the likes but the sharing is the best please share it to your own page if you don't mind does us uh a big solid, because then your friends can see it, and then your friends can share it, and so on and so forth. Uh, Producer Mark, am I forgetting anything important? No, but thank
4: you for telling everyone else how Facebook
1: works. We appreciate it, as always. You know, just in case some folks out there need a little technical assistance. That's what I'm here for. If you're tech support, then the world's going to lose Wi-Fi. <laughs> That's probably true. Forget about China and the race for 5G. We got bigger problems. Um, well, let's get to it Uh Robert, Robert writes, Buck, producer Mark, gray-bearded millennial here with hair that brings female barbers almost to tears when I shave it off every six months. Love the show. I'm in Baltimore Market on WCBM. Great station in Baltimore. You come in on the evening and sound like I'm having a conversation with a friend. The host you replaced shall remain nameless, but he sounds like a grouchy old man who lectures you before yelling at you to get off his lawn. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well played, Robert. Well played. What are you, some kind of a statist? Huh? I bought a pair of Raycon earbuds just so I could listen to you and rush at work. My work truck does not have a radio or anything else that may be possibly confused with a creature comfort. Um... Man, thank you so much for buying the Raycon earbuds and for supporting me and for listening in the Baltimore area and for enjoying this, and you are my friend, and thank you for listening to me and Producer Mark every day and also knowing um, good radio when you hear it. Appreciate that. John and hey, Buck and Producer Mark, I just wanted to share a short anecdote with you about this year's Independence Day. While our local Chamber of Commerce canceled the parade and fireworks celebration this year, The proud patriots that inhabit our state decided that this would just not do. As I drove home across the prairie after a day of celebration and fellowship with friends and family, the night sky was lit up with what was easily tens of thousands of dollars of illegal fireworks. They shot up from every neighborhood in every direction, lighting up the sky and roaring with a defiance that would have made our uh, forefathers proud. I had never felt such a swelling of patriotic pride before, But there was a solidarity in knowing that the American spirit is still alive and well. You just need to walk outside and look for it. As far as I'm concerned, this should set the standard for how all future Independence Days are celebrated. Shields high. Uh, So I assume John is writing from California, right? Because I saw, Mark, you saw that video, right? Where they were lighting up all the fireworks in the sky, even though they weren't supposed to? Yes. Um, Yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, Hot take? Fireworks suck. What's the point? i just tell you. Can I tell you, we're going to get so this is a rare moment where you and I are contrarian together. I'm not a fireworks person. I don't get it. I don't get it. Look, if you're with your family in the right circumstance, you know, watching a fireworks display together on Independence Day. Cool. I get it. But people that are like, yeah, I want to go play with a lot of fireworks. I don't understand. Firework goes boom. Who cares?
4: I'll take it a step further, even like, you know how most towns and cities will have like a gathering on a normal year, obviously not this year, uh, with the big fireworks display. I'm going to schlep all the way to some park in the middle of nowhere and watch some lights go off in the sky and stand up for a couple hours in a crowd of people and have to park my car two miles away. Who the hell wants to do that? I don't get it. (laughs) It's so boring.
1: I don't get it. So... Yeah. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. Oh. But you know, I mean no sense to me, I should say. I mean look at people love it, they love it. That's just not my th- it's not my thing. It's not my thing. There are other things I like. This is not, yeah. to not each their thing. own. If you like it, sure, but yeah, it's g- not exactly. For me. But I just you know, I remember I was at a like I was at a college house party a long time ago and people started they got drunk and they ran out in the yard and they started firing I think it's Roman candles at each other. Does that sound right? Yes. And and I was and I was like, I, I don't get this. You know, and someone I think just died because they got uh, in New York because a firework exploded near their chest or something. And wasn't there a Giants player? Yeah, who I was just going to say,
4: Jason Pierre-Paul. He lost a finger or two fingers, even.
1: Yeah, he blew part fireworks. of his hand off yeah. playing with fireworks. I gotta say, you know, I I did some rudimentary uh, uh, explosives training. You know, with explosive explosives, you know, C4 and and debt cord and all that stuff. And I, you know, guns to me, it's always like if you've got good uh, muzzle and, and trigger discipline and, and you understand safety, you, you can be around guns and be and be totally safe. Explosives, uh, you know, you're always there's a reason why people that build their own um, detonators tend to be or sorry, build their own blasting caps, I should say, uh, often lose a finger or two. There's a reason because that stuff is really unstable and it's really easy. You know, there have even been it's rare, but cases where static electricity can set off a, a charge and people have died during um, during military training because of that, where you have something and they didn't actually hit the hit the plunger, so to speak. Uh, yeah, that stuff can happen. Right, explosives kind of that, that puts me on edge. Knives, guns, train, you know what you're doing, fine. Explosives, though, I don't know. Some of the guys, I I know there's some EOD techs who are probably listening to this right now. How you guys and gals, uh, how you do what you do, I don't even know. I think that may be, if I was told that I had to take a, uh, if I had to take a combat role, I think EOD tech would be the one that would, I, I would just have the hardest time doing. I don't know. That would just, you know, sign me up, you know, I, I'd, I'd rather train I'd rather train to do sniper stuff. I'd rather train to you know, clear house, whatever it is. EOD tech. I don't know how they do it. I really that I think that's why that movie. Uh, what was the movie um, uh, years ago in Iraq? Won the won the best picture Oscar. Remember what oh, talking the Hurt about? Locker. Yes, the Hurt Locker. That's why everybody watched. It. I was just like Pfft, the whole time. You're like, oh, my gosh, because explosives are scary. All right. Uh, Courtney. Hey, Buck, I was getting my nails done here in the suburbs of North Dallas. Yeehaw! Okay, no, I was told, don't do any more yeehaw. Not allowed. I love you, Texas. Dallas is a I... city. They don't <laughs> say yeehaw. <laughs> Come on, man. I'm from New York. We think everyone's like, hey, howdy, I'm wearing a Stetson and riding a horse. that no, I'm just kidding. And that's
4: why they call us Yankees.
1: Yeah, that's true. I actually spent a lot of time in Dallas because when I worked at the Blaze uh, for, for Glenn Beck, I was in Dallas every probably every two or three months. So great. Town, great food. Great town. Really nice people. Um, I'm a fan. Austin, where we have our wonderful affiliate KLBJ, of course, is another town that I need to spend some time in this fall. I'm going. I asked my nail tech, Courtney Wrights about how he felt about the whole mask wearing thing. He said he hated it, then proceeded to tell me about his friend who recently went to be tested for covid. He said he checked in and waited for over an hour and then left. Later that evening, he got a call saying his test that he never even got came back positive for COVID-19. I have a feeling this kind of thing is happening a lot. Um, so you're so Corey's telling me that. Well, yeah, I have heard that the testing takes longer than people think that it will. So you can get tested and wait three or four days to get a result, which feels like uh this is also why, as I've been telling you, you know I'm right about this. The tracing thing is just has been preposterous from the start. Yeah, let's just meet with everybody you've met with. I mean, they're going to tr- be tracing people for the next thousand years, given how many cases and how many contacts. It's absurd. Absurd. Oh, we do it for STDs. Yeah, well, you know, if you're trying to trace syphilis, hopefully the list is a little smaller of people that have been put at risk. Right? Tracing some diseases is a lot easier than tracing a coronavirus. Nate, isn't the more uncomfortable part of that apology from Prince Harry that his family was in charge of sending most of the slaves to America? Shields high. Oh, Nate, you raise a good point, which is that it was, you know, the British were the uh, the initial transportation arm of the slave trade into the Americas. Not the only one, but... They were uh, they were the major one for the Atlantic slave trade. And yes, indeed, of course, Britain is therefore deeply complicit in American slavery, Uh, even though our liberals in America like to pretend like America is the only place that had slaves. We invented. If you listen to Senator Tim Kaine, we invented slavery, which, as we know, is not true. And anybody who even has a passing familiarity with the Bible would know that, that we did not invent slavery. It's been around, unfortunately, for thousands of years um uh, peter hey buck producer mark to say we don't have a royal class is a misnomer our senators and congress because of the lack of term limits have become princesses and princes um i mean they're a they're a ruling class i think that's fair i, I but you remember a prince or a princess is going to have that concentrated authority of a monarchy uh, usually. I guess not really in the Saudi context where there's like a thousand princes and princesses, but I don't know. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying, Peter. You know, it's like the Jeopardy judges. I will allow it. What do you think, Producer Mark? Yeah, sure. I think there should be term limits. Yeah. Tie goes to Team Buck on this one. No, well, of course I agree on term limits, but I mean that we have a we have a, monarch, a monarchical class. Well, they become or, uh, like,
4: you know, well-known people. Because they've
1: been in office so long, yeah, like, a royal here. class. I see. Yes. Look, I, I agree with the sentiment. I agree with the sentiment. Alex, Trump had a great speech at Ra- Mount Rushmore, but then feels the need to go after Bubba Wallace and NASCAR. I don't get it, Alex. I I, I don't get it either. I, you know, I feel like Trump is uh, is that guy that you're in the bar with that you know that if you get into a bar fight, he's the best guy you could ever have, but. You know, every once in a while, he, you know, picks a fight with a lamppost when he's had one too many and like breaks his hand. And you're just like, well, that wasn't really necessary. He's still a great fighter and you still love the guy. But, you know, it's not not a perfect situation. Not a perfect situation. Um, Brandon. Hey, Buck. First off, love the show. Second, I live in Cincinnati and starting July 9th, we were supposed to wear masks within our city limits. Then on July 8th, our governor declared that it is also mandatory to wear masks throughout parts of the state. If you don't, you get slapped with a twenty five dollar fine and they released a number to the public for people to call and tattle on you like we are back in the second grade. Keep doing what you're doing, sir. Well, Brandon, that is certainly troubling and annoying. Um, but that's what we're heading to now. We're, we're all being talking about complicit. We're all being forced to be complicit in the anti covid nanny state. I hope that changes. Please go to BuckSexton.com. Check out on Facebook.com slash BuckSexton. The Buck Brief. Share it. Back tomorrow. Oh, also go to YouTube.com slash BuckSexton. Subscribe. Shield time.